0: Big Fat Gay Podcast, where we talk about the things that are weighing on our minds. I am Trevor Tizon. I'm a super chub, and it's a Zoom episode, baby. Zoom. Zoom, <laughs> zoom, 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 <yeah>. zoom. There's a <laughs> thirty minute setup time. Everyone has to log in and out a couple times, but we're we're here, we and it. it's a. I pointed out on our little prep call. This is kind of like on theme to be on Zoom for this episode.
1: True, that's actually, that's true. Very much so. Hmm. Um, Hi, my name is Michael, I am a chaser, and I forgot what Trevor said about himself for the intro, so I'm just going to say I'm a long-distance relationship boy, and you'll see why soon.
2: (laughs) 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 He won't get in the room with you? What? My name's Don Marshall, I'm a big chubby guy living in sunny Hollywood, and today I am a short-distance guy. Oh. uh, Because I have only walked two feet from my bed the entirety of today, so... You lazy, very pants. short distance boy. <laughs> My name is Dan Oliverio. I'm an author, public speaker,
3: and chubby chaser. And um, today, today I'm a going the distance boy because I have a oh. lot, of, a lot of stuff stacked up on today. Oh dear, yeah.
0: <laughs> we got some some mail, so let's yeah. do that. Michael, play that beautiful bean <laughs> footage. <laughs> <laughs> mail bean? <laughs> I'm scared of Michael's Bean footage.
1: I'm I'm playing it right now. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Okay, so we had a listener write in. Uh, They said, a question for the pod. I'm transmasculine, non-binary, and super fat. I'm lucky to have had a lot of amazing queer sex in my life with people accepting and excited about my body. The sex-positive spaces I have spent time in seem very different from the chub-chaser community, though. I feel very drawn to the chub-chaser community and am excited by the idea of people being excited by my fatness, specifically. It sounds sexually liberating in a way that I'd like to experience. I'm curious if you think the chub-chaser community would be welcoming to a sissy, super-fat chub. How would you recommend a trans chub look for a chaser? And it's worth noting, I did not spend much time on HRT and have very little hair. I know for a lot of bears, not having much hair is a deal breaker. Also signed, Real Fat Transy Pansy in New York. (laughs) Um, Well, I think you'll be pleasantly surprised. Um, (laughs) Yes. Yeah. So um, my my take is that um, there's definitely room for this um, and room for you and room for a lot of good, fun, sexy times. And... Uh, I, I think just starting with like putting that on your mm-hmm. profile, just I, like,
0: I actually did some research into, um, like the apps and gender inclusivity options. So I'll just mm-hmm. kind of present what I found. So chaseable and the other, uh, Grokia sites, they have multiple
3: options and you can select multiple options. So like the, the point is that you could, you could actually mark it as an indicator and then people can search by that.
0: Yes, and also say mm-hmm. that, like, I'm into, you know, non-binary individuals and whatnot. Um, mm-hmm. Scruff, which, I don't know, I have a lot of feelings about Scruff. I would say Scruff is inclusive, but not fat inclusive. They have options just like pronouns and gender identity, but their weight cap is 400, which, like, grinder okay. does a better job. Gr- I can't remember, grinder has a <laughs> higher weight cap, and you can actually customize your gender mm-hmm. and pronouns. Like, just, you can put in anything... Growler has an option. Um, They have like different identities you can check for your profile. Trans is one of them, and they also have super chub as an option, which I feel like is always nice. It's not. Yeah, I don't see that a lot. Um, Yeah, and then there's always the the old guard. I think the still best like chub chaser specific site, bigger city. Um, Mm -hmm. they don't have any
3: options, but you can put that in your bio if the person just put what they wrote us in. The profile, I think that would handle it. I mean, mm-hmm. there's a thing about yeah. people not reading profiles, yeah. but yeah. I, I think an edited version of this would serve very nicely.
0: And if you made your, you know, username like Real Fat Trans Pansy, there yeah. you go. <laughs> that- bang, bang, that's yeah. it. That's a, yeah, and I'm sure, yeah,
2: having gone through some changes with your body at some point, um, being concerned about your lack of hair fitting in with any group might be a, on the forefront of your mind, but like you know what? I ain't got any and it's never run into a problem for me. Mm -hmm. So
1: yeah, not everybody is into hair. I, and I, I I wish that that weren't the stereotype because we kind of get lumped in with the bear community, which is frequently all about hair, but like chasers, I think we run the gamut. Like, I think there are plenty of chasers very much into the smooth look. Absolutely. I I would say I'm uh, one of them. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Same.
0: (laughs) I would say there are guys that, uh, Say they're into bears, but exclusively date hairless super chubs. <laughs>
1: yes, that's very true. So yeah.
3: friggin' true.
1: It's a way of kind of sidestepping the issue, yeah, and not really f- coming out straight out and saying, actually, no, I like fat men. So much, is- so much
3: so that I actually have a section on this in my book. Bear is a better brand that people want to get behind than brand fat, and that doesn't need to be the case. Yes.
1: Yeah. And it certainly doesn't mean that there aren't plenty of chasers out there that are not into bears whatsoever that are very much into super fat chubs.
3: I mean, have you met me?
1: <laughs> <laughs> why no, what's your name? Who are you? Where am I? What is this um, Zoom screen in front of me?
0: <laughs> and there are bears that have, like, have nothing to do with fat. Like that's also yeah. thing. Like that's kind of, mm-hmm. I mean, that's kind of scruff. That's why like I'm, I'm hesitant to suggest scruff, but it is more inclusive in terms of, kind of gender identity and it's like more nuanced there but also they don't think anyone weighs more than 400 pounds so
1: yeah i think there are options though um and i think i'm very curious i hope i hope this listener um maybe you could follow up with your experiences good or bad um because i kind of yeah i'd like to know how things go for you but yeah thanks for writing in and we hope things go well for you and um feel free to for should check back in and let us know how it went
2: yeah yeah if you want to if you want a good space to talk about everything right here you are always welcome here
1: so what do we got in the world of of, of pop culture and media
0: well it's that time of year again apparently friday <laughs> was world obesity day Yay! Yay. <laughs> Yay. and we had um, cake
1: <laughs> yeah,
2: and I was How, very proud. This was the year I finally chose to come out as a fat person. <laughs> oh, wait, no one seemed surprised. That's all I am saying. You are what? <laughs> so, have you ever tried not being fat
0: <laughs> uh, every day? <laughs> <laughs> um, so once and once again, I don't. I always feel the need to reiterate this because for our listeners who are like. On the outskirts of fat world, or just like, I don't know, not plugged into the more political aspects. Obesity is a very loaded term. I uh, some people censor it. I use it in contexts where it's presented because I don't really want to have to X ex- like censor it and then explain it every time. So, mm-hmm. um, in the New York Times on this uh, World Obesity Day, there was a full page ad. That started with to the editors, beginning this World Obesity Day, we're asking you to eliminate the word obese from the news. And I was like, "Oh my god!" Hmm. I was, I like sat up and I'm
3: like, "Oh my god, is this going to be a good thing?"
0: No, (laughs) (laughs) no.
3: (laughs) So the uh, writers of this—it's a letter to the editor, right? I mean, that's basically the format. Yeah. So they're saying, "Please stop using the word obese." As mm-hmm. a descriptor for people and, but that's okay. You can keep using the word obesity because that's a legitimate disease. And it's mm-hmm. this, it's, it's under the guise of first, of person, first language. So you are not an obese person. You are a person with obesity. Also, <laughs> and overweight that's the thrust and overweight. <laughs> well, of course you gotta have overweight. Yeah. With a, a person with <laughs> overweight. Exactly. That's actually what they want. They want a person with overweight, because it literally
1: says that. It
3: literally says that. So the, the thrust of this is again, it's it's supposedly a person-first language that emphasizes that you are a person suffering from this malady, and that it is not your actual identity. And you can imagine this has upset a lot of fat people who are like, "Dude, I'm fucking fat." So, and, and also the 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 behind-the-scenes message is is because they talk about how. Uh, Talking about the obese or ob- or obese people further stigmatizes fat people, and <laughs> so unfortunately, though, what they've created is this message that is, uh, you shouldn't stigmatize fat people because of their body. We should recognize that that they are diseased bodies, and we should treat them with our expensive <sighs> medicines that they can buy.
1: Yeah, <sighs> yeah, it's it seems pretty misguided. It's signed by. Well, we can't even see the full list of signatures yeah. from the screen cap, but it's a lot of a uh, lot of medical professionals. Um, I wonder how many. Somebody of them who is fat. the CEO of the Obesity Society. Yes, um, which, which company I is I not even know is a thing. Yeah, I'm yeah, sure it's what, owned by some company. I'm
0: sure it's owned it's, by like you know. It's not exciting. I was excited. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's
1: never good. Like <laughs> fat people in hats and
0: monocles. Mm-hmm. I mean, I everyone I like all the reactions I saw was like uh, like at first it was excitement and then immediate disappointment, which <laughs> uh, I mean, I think fat people are uh, used to at this point with pretty much everything.
3: Well, the, the point that Reagan Chastain makes and she's a she's a fat activist who really specializes in like the data driven stuff and the medicine stuff. And she says you cannot there is absolutely impossible to remove the stigma of being fat while at the same time saying fat is always bad and we have to cure the problem because again, they're, they're just substituting as they always do fat as a biomarker and being fat is not a biomarker. Being fat is not, is not the problem there. There may be underlying problems, but guess what? Thin people get those problems too.
1: The comments are like the, the first one that I read as I was sort of scrolling down was, Oh dear, they think they're helping, but they are just doubling down on pathologizing people. Um, Yeah. mm -hmm. Um, and then somebody replied, I, I don't even think they think they're helping. I think they think they're making great careers for themselves.
2: Yeah, <laughs> I agree with that statement 100%. Well, I'm
3: sure they think it's both.
1: Well, and, uh, I mean, it was an ad. It yeah. was not actually a letter to the editor. It was an advertisement. Oh, was it was paid advertising. Mm. Yeah, it was written as a letter, but it was an ad.
3: Gosh, I wonder where their funding came from. Uh, <laughs> I mean, someone pointed out they did research
0: and that these people are all financially invested in weight loss companies. Yes, in various forms oh. or like med well, medicine companies. That's the thing. Like-
3: it is if you're a medical company, if you're if you're a pharmaceutical company, there is no money in stigmatizing the psychology of being fat. You have to stigmatize it as a disease that we can treat with these drugs. Uh, anyway, <laughs> yeah. well, speaking of stigmatizing fat people, <laughs> there was a, <laughs> uh, oh oh no, <laughs> there was um a
0: great piece in Inverse. Inverse. By um, Sarah Stark. Yes by Sarah Stark called It's Time to Abolish the Fat Villain Trope. Which, I, I mean, loved this article. Yes we've talked a lot about I mean a lot a lot about this because yeah. there is so much to discuss about this topic and I, I shared this because it's a great read and I think this is like one of those things where like listeners who like are trying to get friends and family and whatnot to like look at Ha- like issues and like fat people being mm-hmm. stigmatized. Like, this is a great yeah. article to share because I, it, there's so many things where it pinpoints where like people can really analyze content they've seen. Yeah. My biggest takeaway from this was I didn't know that uh, huts are supposed to be fast and blaster proof. And that, from like Star the, Wars. Yeah. Um, yeah. The job of the hut. I have, I want to see that. I want to see them like fighting and like sliding I... around all fast and stuff.
1: I don't think that, I, I could be wrong, but I don't think that has ever been represented visually in either movies or uh, cartoons. Uh, I think that might just be like part of a trivia page in like the encyclopedia that somebody thought was ironically funny uh, mm-hmm. and then just became canon. I, I could be wrong. If Star Wars nerds are greater than <laughs> I. Correct me if I'm wrong.
0: Oh, they're coming. Um, <laughs> yeah, I seem to remember
2: in the most recent cartoon, ba- I think it was Bad Batch, they introduced a non-villain hut. But I'm, and I don't remember what he did physically on the show, but I just remember it being a novelty like, wait, there's a fat person in Star Wars that isn't a villain. Well, and, you know, and, you know <laughs> there are, as you say, there are Star Wars nerds far
3: greater than I. Uh, I think Michael is one of them as far as I'm concerned. But <laughs> um, the Huts, am I right? The Huts are supposed to look like that. Like walruses are supposed to look like that and huts are supposed yeah. to
2: look like that. Like they're not yeah. they're not like overfed. That's just what their body looks Jabba, like. Jabba right? I think is a fat hut. But the the huts are, but he's like Hollywood fat hut. You
1: know? <laughs> <laughs> that is an odd
3: Oh, I oh, bow to your greater knowledge on this. <laughs> <laughs> That was masterful,
2: um, and you but, know, to tie in the whole like predator aspect to it, it should be brought up. The only fat Twi'lek in the Star Wars universe is the dancer in Jabba's palace, and according to the backstory, he forced her to keep eating because he liked her plump.
1: Um, yeah, Star Wars is not ha, has never been a great, but but I think the point of the article is that it's not just Star Wars. There's a lot. No, it's every so piece of meat. many different properties, yeah. um, and. I think to Trevor's point about it being a good sort of place to send people who don't maybe don't quite understand or maybe are like looking to get your point of view on these things, and it's kind of hard to summarize. The article is incredibly user friendly. There's a it's really well designed. It's really clearly written and and laid out. Um, there's a lot of like headings and organization that keep you oriented, uh, not just in a, a, a sea of different points that are being made. But in the story of the article, um, it's a really great place to point people to. Mm-hmm. Um, and it also breaks down different points of view. For instance, I, I was actually thinking this because Ursula is the background image of the header at the top of the article. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was thinking, well, you know, but people love Ursula. And, and it is true that that is a character they sort of love to hate, love to love. Um, but her point addressing Ursula specifically is that it is still... A character that becomes kind of a a template for, you know, the evil older fat woman who preys on the younger thin woman to gain her power. Um, And so, yeah, that's we've sort of co-opted Ursula and taken her back as a character that is basically the best thing about a really good movie because Mm -hmm. she's so fun. But that doesn't mean the character herself is still, you know. Until we get the Ursula standalone movie where we understand why she is who she is and, you know. But there's also a tug
2: of war going on right now for the identity of Ursula, right? Like, so when they came out with their makeup line, the version of Ursula they advertised with it was a thin, shapely, sexy Ursula. When they came Mm -hmm. up with the Descendants series and they had the offspring and the next generation of all these characters, all the ones related to Ursula seem to be very thin and shapely from... The pictures that my goddaughter have shown me, Hmm. you know, they're standing farther and farther back from Ursula trying to make her sexy and appeal to younger girls with her. Um, The the harder we try and fight to make her our own. It's it's very frustrating to me. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But one thing I love about this article is it does point out something that I've always observed in all sort of minority uh, representation in media. You have to go through a phase where you're the villain. And that's often one of the 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 uh, splashbacks of representation with gay people. It was the predatory sexual predator uh, with fat people. It tends to be a more flouncy version um, that is like kind of horrifying to children, but not so terrifying to adults. That seems to be the, the way we're used, you know, Baron Harkonnen, if anything is the exception, but it's it's uh, nice to know that other people are starting to recognize that we're in that phase and let's freaking move past it. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. Uh, also, Guy Branham is at the heart of a lot of this article. Um, uh, well,
0: a, lot of co- a, a lot of great people. Um, Dr. Sabrina Strings, author of Fearing the Black Body, which I think also like I like this because it puts in a lot. It puts in Guy Branham, It puts in Dr. Strings. It puts in just all these people that like I think non-fat people should be following. And I think it gives them really like it's very punchy and like showcasing all these people
3: and their expertise. Um, Mm -hmm. It's just a very it's amazing. And I think it also it does credit to the article that it's not just like, oh, it's just this one author whining about, you know, whining about, you know, how fat people are treated. No, this is a conversation that has been going on among many, many people for a very long time.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Very well aggregated. All right. Is it time? It's time. Time it be. It's time. Oh, man.
0: I, no, I don't have the music.
2: the music. Play the music. Okay, okay well, music. hold on.
0: I'm just, everyone close your eyes and imagine it. And listener, okay. we're, we're willing it into your ears.
2: are <laughs> oh, yes! willing it, will it <laughs> into your
0: ears. <laughs> 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 it's Fat Watch 2022. <laughs> I knew it. <laughs> um, and this week we're soaring into Singapore. Yeah. Um it's an article from Japan Today talking about how in Singapore uh plus-size actors are taking center stage. Um and I was fascinated by this. I don't know about anyone else.
1: Yeah. Um it, it's really cool because I mean it it does a couple things. It's breaking down kind of the history of um I, I guess like fat oppression um in Singapore uh and and to the to the point of like making kids weigh in at school and forcing them to go to weight loss programs. As recently, I think that ended in 2007. Um, and then the sort of aftershocks of that kind of a program. And then also juxtaposing that with now, the play commissioned by Esplanade, Singapore's National Performing Arts uh, Center, uh, is about a fat woman who is uh, dating and you know going through her life and her loves. And it sounds pretty cool because... I guess the audience gets to actually... There's some audience interaction where they get to pick which of her 10 potential suitors uh, she goes out with. Mm. And that that sounds... I don't know. It's interesting. It's sort of a like kind of that Netflix, like choose your own adventure, but Mm -hmm. in play format. Uh, Ross Nasir, um, I'm sure I'm pronouncing her name wrong, but uh, she is the star of the show.
0: And it's a musical.
1: Yes. Yeah. And it just sounds awesome. And the fact that that was sponsored... Um, it wasn't just something she kind of had to come up with and, and, and run around and try and make it, you know, get staged somewhere, um, I think shows a level of of progress that you would want to see, um, especially from a place like that where they have had very recently some pretty oppressive programs against fat people.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: Well, Singapore is no stranger to that. But I think I think it's another demonstration of, huh, when you crack down on something in a, in a draconian fashion, you spark
2: pushback. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would definitely be curious to see the work. And I'd also be curious to see if it, uh, like the content, if it's comparable to the sort of things that we're seeing in the U.S. Mm-hmm. or if there's, you know, it exists in a different cultural space. What are the things that they have to push back on there? I'd be curious. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: And the the article also does broaden to other um, East Asian countries like Japan and South Korea. Um, and it kind of shows the progress and the steps that those countries are making. It, it was kind of a weird perspective for me to read too because they sort of compare it like you know western countries are have have it kind of framed it like western countries have already been making strides with like you know uh, plus size models and advertising and and other areas of of media and and that the you know the eastern asian countries are are trying to are having to catch up and I was like really is that yeah. Is that okay? I guess. Yeah. Like man, that yeah. feels kind of grim in a way. Yeah. Like are we yeah. the model cuz I don't feel like we're doing that good.
3: <laughs> yeah, we're doing better than some other people. That's that's how yeah. that is.
1: Man, um well, we all we all uh float together. <laughs>
2: mm. We all float down here. <laughs> you float too. <laughs> You'll float too. Oh boy.
1: <laughs> um <laughs> Let's float on so, to the next topic. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, Don, you said you had a, a quote, uh, which I've been looking forward to since the beginning of the show. I take do.
2: I, I was looking for a bit to tie into this, and one of the bits I ended up discarding was uh, something around various quotes about our topic. But there was one quote by A.A. Milne, the writer of Winnie the Pooh, oh, that cool. I hmm. thought summed up this so nicely. And the quote is, how lucky I am to have something that makes saying goodbye so hard, right? Mm, so our weird. topic today is long-distance relationships. Do they oh work? Boy. How do you mm. make them work? What are the <laughs> troubles with making them work? How long <laughs> a distance are you talking and about? And we we do and have a resident expert on staff here at the <laughs> Big Fat Gay Podcast.
1: Having Having spent most of my adult dating life in long-distance relationships at this point, um,
2: God, yeah, that's really true, like isn't can, it? So, Michael, I why can can do you speak prefer candidly. them? <laughs> 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 uh,
1: I don't. Um, but <laughs> end of episode. dad, <laughs> dad, <I laughs> Social media, Trevor. Um, no, it's it's a function. I mean, we've talked about the uh, the idea of trying to find somebody in a community as niche as ours in your area is pretty unlikely. It's certainly possible. Um, but wanting to sort of broaden your search for a really compatible person to areas of the world that you don't really have access to right away, but maybe you could fly to, maybe you could drive to, I think is Dan's experience. Um, And for me, uh, both, so I've had two long distance relationships that I'm willing to speak about, and both of them started, um, I would say, almost out of necessity in the sense that I wasn't intending to get into a long distance relationship, but the connection developed in such a way that it was like, well, I can either throw this in the trash uh, or I can pursue this and try and and see where it goes. Um, And I think when, when you get to that point, like the first one, I was very much like, you know, living month to month, did not have a whole lot of disposable income, like, you know, working freelance in LA and kind of just trying to make ends meet. And that, is really, really hard because you have to pay for your flights and there's a lot of costs involved. Um, and so when the pandemic came around and I started dating my current boyfriend, Michael, um, you know, doing a little better financially. And weirdly enough, the pandemic kind of created this space where, you know, as long as you were super, super careful about how you traveled, uh, it made it kind of easier to do long distance. We could visit for longer. We were both working from home. Oh, I see. Um, mm-hmm. So we may be so, on the
2: verge of a new world where long-distance relationships may actually become easier because of the changes we're seeing happening now. I mean, something that I've said for a very long time is that local, that, you know, people say, I want to date
3: someone local. Local is any place you can get to. And for mm-hmm. some people, that's 100 miles. For some people, that's 500 miles. And so for some people, that's 1,000 miles or whatever it is. You know, my first date with Trevor was when I sent him a plane ticket from to come out and visit from Chicago, mm-hmm. yeah. which is you know, 2,000 miles and away. I th-
1: I like that because the uh, maybe I'm more used to it. I mean, obviously I am, but um, there's a stigma, I think, that we haven't necessarily talked about with long distance relationships, which is, you know, people hear long distance relationship and they just assume that it's not as serious. They assume that it's kind of, you know, like, okay, but why would you do that? You could find somebody around you and certainly people not in our community. You know, mm. like if I talk to kind of normies and they're like, oh, Oh, so why are you doing long distance? And they kind of like when I hear it, hear that question, it kind of strikes, it kind of like raises the back of the hairs well, in the back I, of my neck because uh, it, mm-hmm. it's like, I don't really feel like I had a choice here. Yeah. Like, uh, but I, I may don't be able have to explain the dating why. pool to pull from. Yeah.
3: I maybe it'll explain why. Um, <laughs> via this anecdote, I was talking to an acquaintance online and I said, How are you doing? He said, Oh, man, I'm really bummed. I said, Really? Why? What happened? He said, I just, I, you know, I, I, I was, I was dating this guy and, um, I went out to see him and, um, we broke up and I'm like, well, well, how I, I was, I felt like a bad friend. because like, I didn't know you were dating anybody. And he said, yeah, you know, we broke up the first time we met. <coughs> <Yeah>. <coughs> they had yeah. actually never, they had considered themselves in a long distance relationship, though. Neither of them had ever been in the same room with the other.
1: Oh.
0: And I think
3: that is true more than you or us or oh, anybody I w- realizes.
0: I would definitely mm-hmm. say so. I would I think also like it depends where like what circle you're in. Cause I know like I don't know a better way to say this, other than like the nerd community. Yeah. I feel like there's a lot of that, like online relationships. Mm-hmm. Um I mean, I had when I was in college, I had a weird instance of where i like i would say i didn't have an online relationship i had like an online courtship with uh, a chaser who lived in the same city as me but he was at the time doing a semester abroad oh right and it was like tour Mm -hmm. we started talking towards the end of his thing and we i mean you know don was talking about things changing this was like when you know video chat was like still kind of new i mean this was you know, we would Skype. Mm-hmm. Remember Skype? <laughs> <laughs> nope. Um, and, you know, I we would usually Skype, like, when he was getting up and before I would go to bed. And mm-hmm. then he came back and, like, uh, we hooked up as, like, one of the first things <laughs> he did when he got back into the country. <laughs> um, nice. But, it, you know, and then we started dating after that and we had really gotten to know each other online but we lived in the same city and it was just one of those like weird like it was kind of online but it wasn't
1: Mm -hmm. i think what you're getting into which is something that i I would love to kind of illustrate the differences between in-person and online dating but one of the biggest ones is that you are not the same person Mm -hmm. online as you are in person as much as you think that you might be, there is inherently, there's so many differences to communicating online, even through uh, you know, a video call um, that you, you just can't be the same exact person as you are in quote unquote real life. Mm-hmm. And so getting enough time with somebody and maybe the right attitudes and a little bit of introspection to kind of cut through the presentation of yourself to get to the real you um, is really hard to do.
3: Yeah, I think it's I think what you're saying is completely true because when you're doing even if it's video chat and I know I've had people tell me, no, no, we really know each other super well. We like we talk all the time for hours almost every day via Skype or via Zoom. And I'm like, yeah, but you're meeting someone in the same circumstance. You're not experiencing them in a traffic jam, you're not experiencing mm-hmm. them with their friends, you're not experiencing There's, them at a restaurant, and mm-hmm. and it's just, you know, people have respond differently in different environments, and that's the relationship, it's all those tiny yeah. little things. I'm not saying
2: they're monsters, and, I'm just saying that you have this very curated, one-dimensional experience. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. and I'll take it a step farther, for some types of people like myself, touch is such an important part of my communication, right? Mm-hmm. Not just romantically, but with friends, platonic people, family members, physical contact is one of the ways I communicate. I find it very, very difficult to connect in a meaningful way when all I get is an image, right? Mm-hmm. I don't even get the full body language of the person I'm talking to over, over Zoom. So the, all relationships to me over Zoom feel like diet interactions, Right, it's like you know all of the bother of chewing, but none of the fun of the calories. So it's like
1: (laughs) i i want to I want to kind of present the other side of the the online connection too, which is that you can develop a connection online that, like Dan was saying, it's very. Targeted it's very controlled. Mm -hmm. You're in a controlled environment. You don't have a whole lot of if any outside stimulus to kind of test you and you've made
3: time you have specifically made time for the other person. They're not occurring in your in your normal daily life. Yeah, yeah,
1: there's no there's very not not as much incidental interaction, but um, you can curate very um, intensely connected experiences with that person. And one thing that always kind of got under my skin that I've it's taken me a long time to kind of understand Um, is you get a lot of challenge over the quote-unquote reality of your relationship if you have a long-distance relationship. Like, well, that's just not real Mm -hmm. because it's not what's in person. And I think the distinction that it took me a long time to understand and not get offended by is that they are different. Being in person with somebody, dating in person is definitely absolutely different. It is more. It is bigger. It is more complex. It is harder. In certain ways, but it does not discount the connection that you have with somebody online. It is just a necessary addition, not necessarily for everybody. Some people do stay in long-term, long-distance relationships, but that I think is highly, highly rare. Like that is not mm-hmm. what most people are looking for. Um, but that can work if if you like that. Um, it's not to say that your connection with your significant other is not real or not worth anything. It's just that it will change once you are together, and mm-hmm. and it could change in a good way or a bad way or neither.
3: What do you think of this, Michael? Since you have the most experience with this, because you've maintained long distance relationships over the course of years, more than years. I was going to yeah. say, yeah, and and yeah. and a couple of those, right, over mm-hmm. years. Mm-hmm. So, here is my question: I would, I would hypothesize, see if you would agree with this, that you know you can maintain a long distance relationship for months or even years but there always has to be a plan that you're going to be together some way and some. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yes, absolutely. In fact, I didn't. So my first long distance relationship lasted just over four years. Um, And coming out of that, I was, I had told myself very firmly, I'm not doing that again because it's really, really hard. (laughs) Um, It's just, it's really hard. It's straining. You feel immense amounts of stress. It's expensive. Um, and it feels very difficult to be able to focus on the value of protecting and growing the relationship, um, and then fell right into a second long distance <laughs> relationship. Um, about I don't know eight months later, and so um, I would say that you get, for from my experience, you get about six months of like kind of goodwill grace period. You get six months of like this is easy. It's the beginning of the relationship you don't really have to deal with the actual strains and pressures of long distance. Um, and in that time, the weirdest thing that happens for long distance, if you're doing it, what I would say is the the way that will be future proof. The way that Dan is suggesting is that you have to talk about the future far sooner than you ever would. If you were dating in person, oh. like within the first a few weeks, maybe a couple months, you have to both understand what you both want long term. You would never do that if you were dating somebody in person and you were just dating and you're just getting to know them and you know however long it takes, you you wouldn't bring up are we going to move in together uh you know within the first couple weeks or months. Like it, it would just you'd sound crazy. Um but in long distance if you don't have an understanding of where you both want to end up, you will start living in absolute uncertainty and that will start to destroy the relationship. And I think mm-hmm. the, the biggest key of that is a, does either of us want to just stay a long distance forever? Cause like I said, some people want that. I mm-hmm. would say it's very rare. And then two, if that's not the case, where are we going to end up together? Is it going to be you moving to me, me moving to you, us moving to a third location. Um, and that move represents so much change and commitment. It's basically like getting married I mean, you are uprooting your life. You're completely changing your life to commit to the relationship. And that, again, is very different from being in person and dating within the same space.
3: Yeah. I mean, even if they're moving in with you, which was the case with me and Trevor, like, you know, Trevor came from Chicago eventually and, you know, we were together here in Los Angeles, but that was still a big change for me. I was Mm -hmm. even bigger change for Trevor, of course, but Mm -hmm. uh, I was still like, whoa, this is very different. (laughs) (laughs) This is yeah. not just a long-term guest, you know?
1: <laughs> yeah. And I've, I would say I've had a luxurious experience of it because most of my visits, you know, flying back and forth between the various places have been pretty extended, at least a couple weeks. And then, like I said, over the pandemic, we've been able to do a month, a month and a half because we both work from home. Um and that has been incredibly luxurious, but some people, they only get to visit for a week or two at a time every two or three months. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then everything else is built on really just like Zoom and chats. And I, that sounds really hard to me.
3: Well, I mean, um, my experience, I was with, uh, I was with a guy for about six years and we lived 70 miles apart. So mm-hmm. far enough that it's really inconvenient. Like you can't just zip over yeah. and see them. So... Because of our lifestyles, uh, you know, he had dogs, he had uh, uh, his family there and a bunch of stuff. And, And also, it was a great place to visit. I would go out to see him almost every weekend. It was rare that I didn't go out there for a weekend. The only time I would not is if, you know, maybe we both had something going on that weekend. Or maybe he would come into L.A., but, you know, he... He didn't want to bring the dogs to L.A. because that was a mess and blah, blah, blah. So it was just it was just logistically easier for me to go out and see him. And, you know, he had a great place. So that wasn't a problem. What Mm. happened, though, is that I completely lost touch with the L.A. theater scene, which was a problem because I was I was that was kind of my milieu. And I was Mm. I was directing plays and I was writing plays. And and, and it was it was very much it was very unplugging to take weekends outside the city because, you know, not a lot of theater happens on a Monday night. So it, it, it very much, well, I, I certainly don't regret any of it, but it was definitely affected my career. And that was just 70 miles, just right. not being where I needed to be on the days I needed to be there.
0: So before I moved to LA, I had a thing that was starting with a guy and it was the summer before my senior year of college. And I knew I was, I don't think I I knew if I was going to go to LA then or not, but I knew I was going to be leaving. Like I was going to be graduating and I was going to be moving somewhere. And I really like really like really the guy, but I told him I'm like I don't want to start a relationship right now because I know I'm going to be leaving the area and I don't want to like be in a long distance relationship when I'm trying to start something new and just have to try to maintain something that is tying me back to the city where I'm trying to leave.
2: It's hard to start a new life when you've got one foot mm-hmm. in the old one. Um, Absolutely.
0: And he yeah. was really gracious about it, and I I feel like it was not the best situation. I feel like I was kind of like, I don't know, the villain in that, because like, <laughs> he definitely had feels, and I was like, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> I, I have sympathy for people who, like, don't want to be in a long-distance re- relationship, especially, like, when they're kind of in a transitionary stage of their life. Mm-hmm. Um, and or, don't know where they're going
2: to end up. Which is when it's most likely to happen, life. too.
0: Like, there's just yeah. people where... I mean, I know people where it's like they're just all of their primary, um, you know, suitors or options for relationships live somewhere else. But like they're not going to move and people don't want to move to them.
1: Yeah, that's that. That was the piece of advice I was going to throw out there. I was trying to think of advice that's not just, you know, generally relationship specific, but really just long distance specific. And one of them I would say is uh really think hard about starting a long distance long distance relationship uh if you are not willing to be the one who moves like if you really don't think you can ever ever do that, think hard about it mm-hmm. because the amount of pressure it puts on the other person to to do that move to be the one who uproots their life and leaves everything behind is, I would say, extremely hard to, to handle in a relationship and maybe even impossible. Uh, if they have any kind of roots in their in their hometown or wherever it is they, that they live. Um, nowadays, like Don was saying, you know, everyone, not everyone, a lot of people are working from home now, and I think it is a lot easier.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and I Obviously also work
1: th- is not, yeah.
3: I also think it depends where the two people are. I mean, and maybe this is just being... <laughs> Urban centric for me, but I think, and this is just me, like if I live in Los Angeles or New York or San Francisco, uh, if I live in a major city and someone lives in a very small town, <laughs> I have the prejudice that I don't think it's unreasonable for them to move to me. Now, if they don't want to, well, yeah, then then they don't want to, and that's how that's going to go. Mm-hmm. But I I don't think I, I guess what I would do is I would question the idea that they both that both people have to be willing. To move i think it can be enough that one person is willing to move i don't
0: i um i I don't know i just don't make someone move to like mouse paw kentucky
3: that's what i'm saying (laughs) (laughs) um
1: i i stand by what i said because if that per there are people like we are all city people but if there are people who are very much not city people and for instance if that person from mouse is in you know starting to strike up a connection with somebody in LA, and they know that they don't want to move to a big city because they really prefer rural life. They shouldn't be striking well, uh, up connections with people in big cities like that. That sure. will be yeah. Well,
3: I guess I would say it this way: a better way to say what I said is, I don't think it has to be true that both people have to be ready to move. I think just one person has to be ready to move. Mm-hmm. And it'll depend and it'll depend on the destination. Right.
1: But my my point is that you if you've already started talking, um, I would submit that few people are going to stand up and say, no, I won't do that move, knowing that the other person won't either, because that kills the relationship right there. And so the inclination is to feel like you have to say, yes, okay, well, I'll do the move. If you if you're not going to do the move, I'll do it. I can do it and I'll swing it. And then eventually that tension will pull to the point of snapping. Well, and that's I, true
3: because you're not, you're not telling the truth. That's, that's what's, that's, yeah, what, but my that's point what's is, making it vi- not there.
1: I, yeah, but I think if one person is is intransigent from the start, the other person, it is their burden to either end the relationship right then and there or say that they'll move. And so my point is if both of you aren't willing to give a little, um, you're, you're going to run into, I, I would submit you're going to run into trouble down the line. Um, if you end up waiting for any length of time, now, if the move happens, you know, six months after you start dating, you know, it probably won't have been long enough for that tension to build anyway. Um, but if you if you drag it out for a couple of years or more, yeah, that could end it. That could that could get really bad eventually.
3: Sure. But to me, that's about communication, not about geography.
1: Yeah. But I mean, again, that's that counts in long distance in a way that it doesn't in Mm -hmm. person
3: i mean you we could say that the communication standards and like in non-monogamy and maybe also in long distance communication becomes even more important
1: a hundred percent yeah and i would also build on that and say the idea of having to like don was saying like hit one of his love languages is touch um and If that is true of you and you're in a long distance relationship, you are being starved of one of the ways in which you feel love and connection with with your significant other. And you have to have the introspection to understand that about yourself and say, this is something I need and I understand that I can't get it. And like, we can understand this together. And so you're not just sitting there in misery, wondering why you don't feel the way you want to feel when you're not actually together.
3: Mm -hmm. A lot of people who are long distance... Also decide, well, you know, if we're only going to see each other a few times a year or whatever that is, or however often they seem, let's mm-hmm. make this relationship non-monogamous so that, for mm-hmm. example, someone can get the sense of touch in in, in, in the off-season, so to speak. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and I think... As I say, it's it that then we that, now we're off to the races about non monogamy. But I would say that that is also an option that also figures into long distance relationships. Yeah, is, and I also
2: really want to step in there and to, to encourage. Like, I don't want to equate touch with sex. That's not what I'm saying. No, no, no. I get that at you all. Don't, you don't. Yeah, yeah. That's no. not. But some people,
3: but some people would have, let's say, a sexual need, and it's yes, not going to be satisfied in four visits a year.
2: Yeah, I just don't want to define. Right touch as sexuality that no, is not I, no, at I, all I, I think also forward.
0: there's people that like in a long distance relationship if someone cuddled with someone else that could be a betrayal
3: mm. to yes. someone yeah. is cuddling cheating yeah exactly i i, right. I think
2: yeah. i could feel that way if that happened to me yeah
3: yeah um and, but
0: this is a whole that's i mean this is a whole other yeah that's
2: a whole other conversation yeah
1: i would i would say that It's in the same ways that it's, you know, a discussion to be had if you're dating in person similar, except probably from the long distance side of things. um, If one person is already inclined to be non-monogamous or has already had experience with it and the other person hasn't, um, that can that can also be a huge pitfall because it might be assumed that because you're long Mm. distance that you should be non-monogamous. Like if some people equate those two. Um, or at least assume that that is the more likely scenario to happen, and that can add an additional pressure to that discussion that you wouldn't necessarily have in person.
2: I would agree. Well, a lot to unpack there. Mm-hmm. Maybe a topic to return to at some point. Yeah, and maybe yeah,
1: if... I mean, I could always say more. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I'm I'm curious what our listeners have to say.
0: Yeah, I send us your uh your experiences, your triumphs, your I can't think of the opposite of triumphs. <laughs> <The> <laughs> failures,
1: <laughs> tragedies. Well, pitfalls tragedies tip pitfalls like if you've if you've had things that you feel like could have gone better and you maybe you think you know why or any any stories like that um, I feel like there's a lot of them out there just because it's so common in our community
0: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
2: Uh, do we have a tip for the day no tip
1: but it sounds like we have a bit
2: we do <gasps> there was a slight miscommunication though we Uh-oh. did long distance relations um, the bit I wrote for I misheard it I thought it was relations at long distance so we're actually going to be talking about astronauts and sex today. The relations you can have at the longest of all possible distances. <laughs> so astronauts and sex. Um, one of the most obvious issues with sex in space is overcoming gravity in order for couples to connect. Hmm?
1: Uh, sorry, overcoming
2: <laughs> uh, um. In order for couples to connect, both physically and romantically, they'll need to be tethered either to a wall or to each other. This problem can be solved by employing bungee cords, straps, mm. handles, or by donning a two-suit, a garment designed to facilitate intimacy in weightless environments. However, Harry Stein, a former NASA technician and author of the book Life in Space, has an alternative suggestion for how astronauts might go about getting down. What is it? One, adhesive lubricants.
1: (laughs) Oh God! Oh 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 oh, no! God, I
2: hope not. Two, a curved double-headed dildo. (sighs) Okay. Three, sonic speakers designed to thrust partners at each other in zero g. Oh. Or four, threesomes.
1: I, I say four. Option we're the, four. Three. Where the third
3: person holds the other two together. <laughs> <laughs> they are literally it the glue. In you, the, they're literally the yeah. glue in the relationship. <laughs> it gives you more
1: limbs to anchor anchor yourself.
0: I'm going to say adhesive lubricant because I feel like Don is trying to mislead us by saying that. I think it's be not adhesive, but like,
2: where's the
3: trust, sticky. Trevor? Where's the trust? I'm going with adhesive lubricant. I mean, if you wait long enough, any water-based lubricant becomes adhesive. Yeah, eventually it
1: just becomes sticky,
3: yeah. I'm silicone all the way. (laughs) You know, just because.
2: I'm going to go with the curved dildo. (laughs) (laughs) For his and hers pleasure. And keeping them close enough for other things to penetrate. I don't know how that's going to work for straight people, but whatever. (laughs) Exactly the same way it would work for gay people. And the correct answer is threesomes. Yay! Uh, Um,
1: Am I going to win three weeks in
2: a row? Oh, my God! Stay
1: tuned, (laughs) listener. Harry
2: Stein basically writes about him testing out his theories of weightless sex in a buoyancy tank and wrote (laughs) that it was difficult but possible, adding it was made easier when a third person assisted by holding one of the others in place.
1: Oh, dear. (laughs) I don't... You know there's somebody into that.
2: (laughs) I mean, yeah, but
1: that's also just seems...
3: I think it also answers the
2: question, what does the third person do in a
3: threesome?
1: <laughs> in a, 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 a weightless,
2: yeah. All right. Sex in space has an additional problem that you wouldn't think of down here on Earth. Which of these is one of them? Oh. One, getting too wet. Two, getting too hot. Three, getting too sticky. Or four, space chafing. <laughs> <laughs> I'm
3: going to go for space chafing because I can imagine that there's a lot more movement to control because you're bouncing around.
1: I, yeah, I'm going to say space chafing too, because I don't think you can get fully naked when you do it. And so whatever things that you have attached to you would end up chafing in some way, um, or you would get pressed up against something in weird ways. I think that too.
0: All right. I was also thinking of space chafing just because I imagine you're never, then you're never naked reason, but also just that like, I don't know. From my own experiences with chafing, I imagine being in a weightless environment, there would be more of it because there's more stuff moving around.
2: Okay. Okay. So we've got three answers for space chafing. (laughs) And the correct answer is getting too wet. The uh, reality is when you sweat and you exude water in zero G, water will stick to you. So it oh, tends it to pool either. all over your body in strange ways, oh. forcing astronauts in their day-to-day life to have to carry towels yeah. around with them to mop themselves up. Well, you know, Don, in space.
1: Because of all the constant sex they're having.
2: <laughs>
3: in, you don't, Don, in space, no one can hear you cream. Oh, oh. oh boo. You're welcome. I, boo. You are so welcome, gentlemen.
1: Might have to make that the title. <laughs> <laughs>
2: We'll see. (laughs) (laughs) According to many people who've spent a length of time in space, it does something to your body. What do people in the know call it? One, the know or in the news? Full star elbows. (laughs) Two, a lunar lumpage. Three, (laughs) post astro hiccups. Or four, the space beauty treatment.
1: I think face face beauty treatment because, uh, for, sorry, space beauty treatment because uh, you would get kind of a facelift from this, the weightlessness. That when you're back on Earth, your face would fall again.
2: Okay, we got one for a beauty treatment.
3: That is so not what I was thinking. That was I was thinking of, uh, well, the pooling effect that yeah. John
1: and there's before. less sagging <laughs> too. Like this sagging effect of like your different you know extremities being sort of pulled down, which I think in weightlessness would actually look. A little more, yeah. I, 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 maybe that's just my chaser brain working. Well, no, but. when you when you've had
3: sex with a super chub in a pool, yeah, I understand that.
2: Mm-hmm, <laughs> mm-hmm,
3: mm-hmm. Okay, I'm gonna go with that too. That sounds that sounds hot. Okay, we got two for the <laughs> space beauty treatment. Join Trevor. Us,
0: Trevor, I want to go with false star elbows because I don't I don't know what that is. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm hoping it's that so I can get an
2: explanation. All right, uh-huh. and the correct answer is. Space makes you more conventionally beautiful. It's known as the space beauty treatment. I was Without right. gravity, your hair has more body, your breasts don't sag, and more of your body fluid migrates to your head and plumps your crow's feet. Ah, guys, I am I'm
1: I'm, I'm going to be I'm going to have a 3 episode winning streak. This is <laughs> unprecedented. <laughs> All right. But
3: can can you well, I guess you can't explain Trevor's because it's not
1: right. It's fake. He made it up. Okay,
2: so the final answer is worth four points. So any of you can still take the win from Michael. (laughs) Worth four points. (laughs) Hold on a second. Wait a second. Ready? A flight surgeon had concerns about Apollo's astronauts' prostate health. What did he recommend they do to ward off prostate infections? One, drink tang breakfast drink. Two, I am making the air quotation mark self stimulate <laughs> three uh-huh. avoid bowel movements while in space or four perform regular digital rectal checks on each other
0: uh, I want to say I'm digital rectal d- checks because I, can-
2: <laughs> <laughs> I don't understand why he's
3: concerned about their prostate in space I'm going to say self-stimulation. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I'm going to go with the uh, regular stimulation. They got to jack off. A self-stimulation. Lot. All right. Yeah. Uh, we got them fingering each other. We got them whacking off. Michael, to, what do I you think them they did? to be fingering each other.
1: <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm going to go with regular rectal checks.
2: All right. Get we got two, got two fingers. Got two fingers and one self-stimulate. Who has picked the correct dirty answer? And the correct answer is self-stimulation. Yay! Really? Yep. Apparently like they thought to that would do
0: that in space
2: because it would just be like I knew my masturbation around. would win. That's what towels are for. <laughs> uh, a flight surgeon once advised Apollo astronauts to self-stim to prevent prostate infections. Unsurprisingly, today's NASA has no official policy on orbital masturbation, but Russian cosmonaut Roach interviewed was willing to discuss the issue. My friends ask me, how are you making sex in space? I say, by hand.
1: Oh, <laughs> <laughs> <sighs> uh, man. Well, so, well, so, so we've tied. Dan and I have tied. How yes. do we How do we resolve this? Next uh, week. Okay. <laughs> <laughs>
2: next week. You'll no, next have week to break is the tass. Chubbies. Yeah. Oh, that's okay. right. We'll
1: come back. We'll come back with the Chubbies. Oh, okay. we'll
2: have a death match some other time.
1: Okay, <laughs> chubby death match. So, dear
2: listeners, <laughs> what issues have you had having sex in space? Where could they tell us, Trevor?
0: <laughs> well, Don, we're on Instagram and Twitter as at Big Gay Pod. We're on Facebook as the Big Fat Gay Podcast. Leave us five stars. Five stars everywhere. Uh, we got some new reviews, which are nice. Yeah. Uh, I love and Spotify is going up and up.
1: Yeah. Thank we'll
0: you. Go on uh, like written reviews on Apple. So keep sending those. Oh, hell yeah. Um, I got to check them out. See the article we talked about at www.bigfatgaypod.com Yeah. Um, maybe you're in space. The longest Dang. relationship distance you can be, <laughs> and you're just you're listening to us. We're we're touching you inside and out <laughs> in, your, in your brain. Uh-huh. Um, uh-huh. Uh-huh. And there's a <laughs> there's a knock at the space station
1: door, <laughs>
0: <laughs> and it's uh, it's Michael. And he's here to digitally probe you. So. <laughs>
1: That was me saying watch out in space, but you can't hear me because I'm in space. (laughs) Watch out.